You're listening to Mic Check, a podcast by Third Wave Fund. For over 25 years, Third Wave has resourced youth-led gender justice organizations that philanthropy has consistently left behind. We do this work because we know when directly impacted communities have the resources they need to come together and dream up our shared liberation, they have the capacity to build stronger organizations and movements for social change. Whatever your relationship is to philanthropy, we're glad you're tuning in to hear directly from queer, trans, intersex, and sex-working organizers and activists on their movement origin stories, what their day-to-day work is like, and how we, and especially those in the funder sphere, can best support them not just in moments of crisis, but for the long haul. I'm your host, Priya Dadlani, and today we will be continuing a conversation started in last week's episode with sex worker organizers Jenna Torres and Raquel Savage. Jenna, pronouns she and her and Jenna, is a community advocate, human rights supporter, author, artist, entrepreneur, mother, and as well as a fellow from this year's sex worker giving circle at Third Wave Fund. Raquel Savage uses she, her pronouns and is a black, queer therapist, educator, and sex worker who facilitates trauma therapy through Zeth Wellness, a nonprofit organization she founded in 2019 that centers the mental health and needs of black queer folks and sex workers. Last week, we discussed why it is important to center current and former sex workers in gender justice organizing, what decriminalization is, what it isn't, and ways that sex work decriminalization intersects with abolitionist movements. We also got a great primer on what the Sex Worker Giving Circle at Third Wave Fund is and how it came to be from Third Wave's very own Christian Geraldo and Patsy Morales. Today, we're going to be diving deeper into this conversation, examining the ways in which sex worker-led organizing and reproductive justice overlap, and also discussing the ways in which philanthropy can step up and support sex worker-led organizing efforts without co-opting their movements. So reflecting on what you both shared in last week's episode, we want to kick this conversation off by asking each of you, in what ways do you see sex worker leadership critical to the reproductive justice movement at large? Well, I love talking about sex worker reproductive justice because most of the people that I come across are really uncomfortable or really knowledgeable, one or the other. Um, And also just to understand that most people think that reproductive justice ends at abortion. It's just about abortion. It is centered about abortion. And that couldn't be furthest from the truth. It's about all of the things. Like, especially in Georgia, it's about, like, uh, comprehensive sex education. It's about explaining and really detailing what sex trafficking looks like for people and how it's not a black and white issue, that it's very much gray. There's very much people who have been involved in both ends of the spectrum who have been trafficked by their actual legit jobs. Those things are never talked about. Um... And in Georgia, it's really hard to have those conversations about comprehensive sex work with young people because they're very super protective over the information that is given out, rightfully so, but also in a sense of, like, fear. It's not because they're trying to empower young people with knowledge. It's because they want to protect them for whatever the morals that they feel um, they want to place upon them. And so my experiences in the sex industry literally are, like, from front end to back of like what happens when you're not educating and doing what you're supposed to do in reproductive justice from doctors, from medical professionals to therapists to just anybody else that I've possibly come in contact with um, the saver complex around trying to save young people or and from 
experiences has never been beneficial. And so for me, I've when I do uh, direct services or are involved with organizations who are doing direct services, there is like a A to Z conversation of like, this is how you get p- young people and people in general through your doors. This is how you have conversations with them that are not stigmatizing. Um, this is what you do as medical professionals when people are coming here and social justice, like social workers. This is how you support somebody who's in the industry. Um, not to say that you have to condone it, meaning that you're doing your job in the best professional capacity that you have. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm in in spaces that are directed towards reproductive justice, it's never a conversation about how sex workers can be leaders in that movement. It's always about a safe role complex. Like, how do we save people who are trafficked? And so, um, yeah, I just love going into spaces and disrupting <laughs> and making people really uncomfortable because they don't have any answers for me. When I tell my whole complete A to Z story, people do not have the answers for me of, like, where it went wrong. It went wrong so many different places that nobody has an answer for me. And so um, my only goal doing any type of work is I want people to not have the experiences that I've had um, when it comes to medical professionals, when it comes to safe spaces, when it comes to like organizations. Um, I also want to empower people, especially young people, about having an autonomous choice about their body, especially because of how... um, Roe v. Wade has gone and where we're living and situated right now in this moment. Um, I think education and practice of education is even more important. And we can't continue to lie (laughs) to our young people. There's like a model in Georgia where if you put a piece of tape on your leg and you pull it off, you put it back on, you pull it off. It's like equivalent to your value. And that's what they're teaching young people in sex ed. Um, It's like, just don't have sex. Just don't do it don't have it, which is irrational. It's not feasible. It's not realistic. You know, young people are going to engage in sex. So what does it mean for us to have like empowered conversations about sex, um, having safer measures for us engaging in sex? Um, if there is a young person engaging in sex work, what it would like, who's failing, (laughs) who's not providing this young person with what they need? Um, to be in the sex industry like what 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 conversations do we need to have as a community to make sure that young people can have informed choices i'm not anti-young people being in the sex industry i'm anti like doing it for survival reasons because adults in their life and their in their community cannot have not provided what they needed um yeah so sex work and reproductive justice it's either a conversation about how we're not um folks are not receiving services or not utilizing it's like a very negative connotation of like why are you getting tested so often why are you need to be here but then it's also a lack of services because there's places who don't provide a full spectrum of sti testing or um i had an organization who was telling folks that bv was bacterial vaginosis was a sti <laughs> and we were freaking out People were freaking out about like, oh my God, like I got BV, so it must have come from somewhere. So I had to take the time to educate folks about, yes, BV can be instigated by sexual activity, but you can also get it from like using the wrong detergent and eating crap and drinking alcohol. <laughs> like it's all it's all of those things. And so how do we have like reasonable, realistic, honest, and educated conversations with people about their bodies and what it does? And how do we link that to a larger movement that is primarily focused on, like, abortion rights? 
um, which is great, but also like people need to have like access to birth control on the regular. Like there's other things and the medical negligence that happens in reproductive justice, particularly around childbirth, around um, making sure that pain management for everyday issues that people go through pertaining to their bodies, like all of it, all of it. Um, how do we have like responsible conversations with our community and really honor and respect their experiences so that we can like help them and do the things that they're asking for. Uh, so yeah, I love being the, the shit starter in reproductive justice. <laughs> I love that so much. It's so interesting because sex workers are so uniquely positioned to do this work, but are also left out of leading it, but are also the ones only leading it. So it's like this weird kind of space because the people who are doing the best uh, work, organizing, activism, whatever, disruption around repro health are sex workers and the folks who are like, I don't know, considered the authority on some of these issues are leaving sex workers out of the conversation and think, just like you said, that sex workers actually need to be saved rather than put in leadership positions to lead these conversations. It's just so interesting because, yeah, sex workers are just so uniquely positioned to talk about every single step of the way of any of these conversations, even towards um, what it's like to be a parent and have a child and what the needs are around that, which I think is an extension of the conversation as well, because the the back end of repro health is you have kids. So it's just like really interesting how sex workers are left out of um, leadership kind of roles and leading these conversations and are also already doing the work. It is us who are leading these conversations in our own communities around how to keep ourselves safe. Ah, thank you both. Um, we're nearing the end of our time. Um, and before we shift into a conversation towards how philanthropy can best support sex workers and sex worker-led organizing, I'm wondering if you both um, could take a moment and just think of a time um, this year that serves as an example of sex worker solidarity that took place in your communities. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, just in my own personal community, it is always to the best of my capacity, to the best of our capacity, being available to each other um, and being able to provide supports for each other in a reciprocal way and in a way that keeps us safe. So I had a friend who is a parent and is a sex worker and was in the middle of moving and essentially was in crisis because they needed support. Moving is hard. Moving is hard for anyone. Moving is particularly hard when there are other things that are going on that um, compound the, the complexity of it. And I got on a plane and I flew out to go help her move and um, like no question, no hesitation. And I, I think that to me, those are good examples of, of solidarity generally and what it looks like to build communities where you rely on other folks and don't think to yourself, I have to do it alone. I have to figure it out. I'll just get it. You know, it's like, no, you actually do have the capacity or I hope that you can build the capacity to have folks you can rely on and lean on. And because both of us are sex workers, I for sure would consider that sex worker solidarity. That was amazing. And, and I'm happy to have been able to be there for her because I understand at minimum that moving, especially moving across the country, which is what she did, is really fucking hard. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Lisa Strada, Mutual Care Collective, I saved my ass more times than I can count. Uh, I got four kids. Georgia ain't trying to give me no benefits, nothing. 
So, um, yeah, I just really appreciate, like, anytime we have an SOS, we send it out, there's people who respond, and they really do help. Mutual Care Collective, mutual aid in general, has always been really, really successful. Um, And I just want to just highlight that December 17th, for me, which is the National Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers, is always, like, the January 1st, in my mind. Um, This is always the point where it's, like, real concrete evidence that we still have work to fucking do. Um, and every year that we read the names, every year that we see the names, every year that we're like lighting candles for me is like the moment of solidarity where people have a reality check and then they get back to their lives and they do what they're like they can in their community. Um, and so for me, that's always been a point of solidarity of like, even though it's really painful, it's really sad. It's really like, you know, hard for some folks. I also think it's a point where we realize like, okay, we still like, this is kind of like the battery that, Throughout all the year, through COVID, through all the things that we got going on, like, this is the reality check was, like, actually, there's people who are, like, no longer with us, and we still have not solved the issue. Um, So that is definitely always a reality check for me. Um, And then, yeah, just mutual care collectives and mutual aid collectives, like, have come through with funds, with, like, actual physical support, um, being able to just take people places transportation whatever it looks like people will get it done and so I love that model and it continues to work has been working for I think now five plus years and I just want to see more of that in our community thank you both the mobilized power fund is a rapid response fund that resources BIPOC youth-led gender justice organizations to pivot or adapt their work when met with unanticipated, time-sensitive threats or opportunities in their movement-building work and organizing conditions. For more information, including upcoming deadlines, visit our website at thirdwavefund.org, hover over the Grants tab, and click Mobilize Power Fund, or check the show notes for a quick link. We have a lot of listeners who work in the philanthropy sector, both in like big capital P philanthropy and also more smaller intermediary funders like us who are buying for community led. Um, and some folks listening are trying to understand, you know, maybe more about sex worker led organizing. Some may be trying to convince their foundations to give more money and move more money towards sex worker led organizing. And so this is a good opportunity for us to like speak directly to those people um, and kind of like if you want to reflect on what your experiences have been working with philanthropy and or what they can and third wave too, like what can we do better to support sex worker led movements? Sure. So this is this year is probably my first year ever attempting to get any funding um, for my nonprofit, which is a sex worker led organization. And I had no idea where to start or what the process even looked like or who would even fund something that is sex worker led. And I think the things that stand out to me as the most important for funders to hear and and for folks generally to hear is, I guess, a couple of things. One being that it feels important to me that there are as little barriers as possible to getting the funding to sex worker groups, because we are a community of folks who are already navigating so many barriers around generally and specifically around money, banking, whatever, that this process, I believe, needs to be as easy as possible, as transparent as possible, as accessible as possible. And 
with a a priority or or like a um the capacity or the understanding that some of a lot of what sex workers do is just give money to other sex workers. And so I've seen on some applications it's like, well, what are you gonna do with the money? And blah blah blah. blah. And it's like, first of all, I mean, I, I in some capacity I understand that I guess there has to be some level of like reporting and also I need to move this money to folks who need it. That's what I need to do. There's not going to be anything to report. It's making sure that I can give at least $500 to one sex worker this month. Um, so understanding like that that becomes a barrier when it's like, well, can you prove what you're going to do with the money? Or can you do it? It's like, no, I can't. I'm going to just give it. And I'm not policing what they do with it. If they choose to put it in their like plastic surgery fund, that's fine. Versus if they choose to use it for basic needs. Um, so I think that that feels important to me, just values wise and yeah, lowering the barriers. I also want to say that the easiest funding opportunity that I engaged with was third wave because there was a process that we sent in just a, like a little bit of information about ZEP wellness and it didn't require this heavy lift for the application. We just sent it in and then we were notified if we were even going to be among the group of folks who may get it. And then we were asked to do an interview, which we got a stipend for. And it was just like this recognition of, we understand from third ways perspective, we understand how much labor it is to apply for funding and how many things you're going to have to write and, and have other folks look over. And it's like this, it's a huge process. And I think third way just made it very accessible by saying, send in a little bit of information so we can see if you're even on the right track. Then we're going to do this interview where you come and you just talk to us. You don't have to write anything. And we're going to pay you for that labor, even if you don't get the grant. Um, and I think that that has been no other funding opportunity has done that. <laughs> and that has just made this process so much easier, so much more accessible. And I think that that model is a great one for other funders to consider as opposed to other applications that we've done where it's like taking us hours to get the information together. And then that's it. We just kind of hope for the best. Um, and I think one other thing would be that I really appreciate with Third Wave again is that you all have made it possible for me and for ZEP Wellness more broadly to be in community with other sex workers, meaning I've been able to meet lots of people just in the process of applying um, to build community and network further, which is really important for us to be able to remember that we're not isolated, remember that we're not alone, to be able to grow our communities and expand our reach um, and see what other needs are of other community folks who are not even in the area that I'm in. So I appreciate that too, just being able to like access the other folks who are applying for this fund, who are doing similar work, who I would have probably never found out about otherwise. And yeah, I just, um, I definitely think that foundations and philanthropy is really interesting when it comes to sex worker organizing. Um, and some of the things that I um, wish were easier is the level of information that we have to disclose about the people that we serve. Um, I definitely think that direct services should be more funded, um, especially because people are already in crisis and asking them to do any level of additional work to to earn the um, money that we are receiving for them is really um, a hardship for folks. Uh, some of the things that I learned by going through Third Waves Fellowship was that for somebody like me, myself and I, who are leaders in lots of different things, um having like conflict of interest definitely came up and so i'm hoping that through this process that there can be um 
A different, an interesting model about supporting not only leaders who are in the community, but also the organizations or the places that they come from as part of the process of like allowing me to like split my time where I would be somewhere else to be here and do education and be in community. And how do we also continue to support the organizations who are supporting us to be in those positions? I think is really interesting. And yeah, Alyssa Strada has never been grant funded until this summer, I think, with the Effing Foundation. And so that we've been in direct services for a long time. Uh, We've made it through COVID. And all of the funds that we have received have been from people's own pockets, people in the industry, people who are sustainer donors, um, to make it possible for, like, myself to have emergency funding um, and other folks to continue to have, like, little stipends that support them in being well. And so how do we figure out how to, like, have philanthropists who are particularly not in the community understand why it's so vital to be able to support folks in the ways that we do stipend so that they can live their life <laughs> and continue to do the work. I don't I don't think those are two separate things. Um, but definitely the most disheartening process is one having to explain or to like pad what sex work is in the context of the larger conversation so that we can get funding and also the conversation around um, disclosure of like how people are reporting back. I don't feel, I don't ever feel comfortable putting those demographics into a, into a report ever. And so I definitely think that's part of it. And I just really, really wish that, um, there were more processes like how we did go through third wave fund for me. It was the fellowship of like the interview. And it's also about like actual, like mental barriers like I have ADHD I'm not going to be able to sit and write a three-hour grant it's not happening not never so how do we make it more accessible for folks to be able to apply for these different forms of funding lower barrier funding and how do we just communicate to folks who are like supporting the foundations of what it means to do underground work like what you have planned in the proposal isn't always a thing we've seen COVID and all our plans for what 20 19, 2020, 2021, 2022 now have gone out the window. So, yeah, I just really think that the reimagining of what those things could look like, of how do we have communications, and trusting that organizations who are community-centered, A, can receive funding and do what's right with the funding, um, I think is another conversation because there's a lot of organizations, not not to throw no shade, but there's a lot of organizations who get a lot of money to do a lot of things and they're not fucking doing it. They're not doing it. So instead of giving them the money, you can give us the money and we can go do what we know we need to do for our communities. So, yeah. Yes, I want to thank you both, um, Jenna and Raquel, for your time, labor, um, giving to this, and also just generally being badasses and like leading this work and doing such a beautiful job. I'm so grateful to have this time in combo with you all. Um, just for other folks listening, if you want to learn more about the sex worker giving circle at third wave, the fellowship program, our sex worker led grant making and more, you could check out our reports. Creating community is a threat to power three years of resourcing revolution and liberation at the sex worker giving circle. You could see that at thirdwayfund.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mike Check Podcast at Third Way Fund. This episode was produced and edited by Priya Dadlani and Monica Trinidad with support from Christian Geraldo and Patti Morales. Our intro music was created and produced by Jordan W. Carter. 
If you want to hear past episodes, find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, and visit our website at thirdwayfund.org under podcasts to see episode transcriptions and guest information. If you like this podcast and want to show us some love, help our podcast reach beyond our networks, you can do so by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review, following us and liking this latest episode on SoundCloud or Spotify, or by sharing this podcast on social media. See you next time.